The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Amplified. We're the show that will help you take your message, whatever it may be, and get it out through social media, networking, and other marketing channels. Maybe even some that you've never thought of. Whether you're an organization, small or large business, or you just have the next positive message that's sure to go viral, you'll want to stay tuned this hour. Now, here's your host, Ken Rashawn. Hello, this is Ken Roshan. I am back in Washington, D.C. area, and our guest today is Dr. Jeff McGee, and he's a, a friend that I've met at CEO Space International. We actually uh, will have CEO Space International sponsor this show to uh, acknowledge them for this connection. And the last time we tried to get together, Dr. McGee, I was at Secret Knock, and I had a, a brain fart, and uh, we decided to push this off to two weeks so I could actually memorize all the accomplishments in your life and also have just a more quality conversation. I, I think I was just taking on too much, and that's, that was a little bit of a wake-up call. So really glad to have you on the program. Thank you very much. I appreciate it, and uh, hello to all of the listeners. So I want to just give a short intro, and we're, I'm going to give little tidbits about some of the things you've accomplished in your life, but uh, you've been called today's leading leadership and marketing strategist. You're an author of more than 20 books, and... Gosh, thanks for uh, letting me know that today. I, I would have read more of them. But, uh, it, and then you also have your magazine, Performance P360. And you do some really outstanding uh, speeches at CEO Space. You always have the crowd like uh, on the edge of their seat. Your high energy is mimicked by their interest. And I think you're a brilliant speaker. And you also have a speaker camp that allows people to access their, their power to be on stage. Full flight of uh, deliverables we're working on. I get, I'm kind of almost exhausted listening to you, but it's all fun. <laughs> and as long as it's fun and serves a legitimate cause, that's what re-energizes you and keeps you going. Well, I, because you're already exhausted a little bit, I'll just save you from the three pages of accomplishments that you have in your bio. <laughs> I, I will just say that, ladies and gentlemen, I will be putting all these accomplish, accomplishments on our Facebook page as well as the radio uh, show description. So this, this man is someone that's accomplished a lot in life. When you, when you meet him, you see that he's very serious about making things happen, and he's the person you can actually trust to bring out the best in you. So this book, uh, Trajectory Code, is going to be probably a, a large part of this segment, but I wanted to start off by talking about uh, your beginning asp- uh, your beginning inspiration as an entrepreneur. And I, from reading your bio, it started at age 15. You were raised on a farm and you sold your very first business before going to college. Tell me about that. Absolutely. You know, again, depending upon how each of us were raised, our early years kind of calibrate us in terms of our thinking, our ability to dream, our ability to, in essence, just you know, conceive of ideas, and then whether or not those ideas are allowed to grow and develop. Uh, sometimes they develop into successes. Sometimes they develop into disasters. And either one, if we can learn from them, allows us to keep dreaming and achieving. And that's kind of the life of where I was. So I was raised on a farm in Colorado, had uh, lots of siblings, and was raised in a great lifestyle. You know, decades later, looking back on it, you know, I was obviously raised in a life of poverty. Didn't know that. My parents never made us feel like we didn't have things. 
but by today's standards, when you look at people that are in poverty, I, we definitely were kind of ticking off a lot of those boxes. But I think that also is what kind of uh, unleashes the entrepreneurial energy, the capitalism within you to start to look at other ways of doing things. So at an early age, if you wanted something, basically the, the philosophy was, you know, you do things that are ethical and legal, but get off your butt and go get a job. So it never was a life where, you know, whatever you wanted was given to you and you never had to achieve, therefore you never had to value, therefore you never had principles. I think that's one of the major calibration problems we have in society today is that for the last two generations, uh, parents did not mean to screw up our, our, our people, our DNA, our environment, but they did by most of us were raised where if we did something wrong, we were taught, we were educated, we were held accountable. If we did something wrong twice, we got spanked. And now, again, it's an important part to everything we're going to talk about for the next hour. Now, I'm not advocating this for spanking someone, but that's a profound component of how a lot of us were raised. We were raised where we realized there was consequences to our actions. And we were raised to be respectful of others and yes sir, no sir, yes ma'am, no ma'am. We were raised to work. Uh, we had responsibilities growing up and for those responsibilities you do not get paid money to do them. Um, and so what happened two generations ago is you have parents that said, wow, the way I was raised was so terrible. I want my kid's life to be better. So we paid them to basically do nothing all day. We paid them to do things like clean up your room, help out around the house, uh, you know, maybe help do dinner, clean up dishes, do your homework. Well, the generation before that, those were expectations you didn't get paid for. But when you start paying people to do things they should be doing anyway, you start calibrating the mind away from entrepreneurialism and you start calibrating it towards socialism. And I don't mean that in a political standpoint, so some of our listeners can take a value right now. What I mean by that is that when people know they have to get off their butt and do something, that's actually what unleashes entrepreneurialism. That's what ignites innovation. But when people know that someone else will always be there to take care of them, then what happens is you get complacency, and that's a form of socialism, basically, when someone else is going to take care of me, whether I do something to contribute to it or not. Gallup Organization has a powerful study right now where they survey thousands of businesses across America. So what that means is tens of thousands of responders, and this data only made the news rounds about one day because it's so powerful, it pretty much will derail almost all the rhetoric, rhetoric and crap we hear on TV, radio, and social media. And that is 56% of responders say they're complacent and disengaged. They don't give a crap. 15% said they're actively disengaged. They look to get up every morning and bitch about something and find fault with someone and knock someone down, which is the opposite of Ken, what you and I do. And only 29% of people are contributors. So that data and that story goes right back to continue to answer the question about my early childhood, which was I was raised in an environment not knowing the words then, but I was raised to be innovative. I was raised to be entrepreneurial. I was raised to look for other ways of doing things. So, Again, at an early age, we're doing that. And, you know, in high school, I started a little company with two of my classmates, Blair Underwood and Mike Roslin in Colorado Springs. And we did little coupons. And those coupons became, in essence, items that went in the back of the phone book and evolved into, you know, before we went heavy social media in the late 90s, early 2000s, there used to be something called phone books. You know, a lot of listeners may not have that reference point. But in the back of phone books through the 60s, 70s, and 80s, uh, or first part of the 80s, those phone books ended with, you know, Z for Mr. Zebra. But then the latter part of the 80s and 90s, those phone books all had coupons in them. And that was kind of an innovation and concept that, that I was a part of way back in, in the 80s. So through to today, you know, working with Fortune 100 corporations and private and non-private businesses, you know, whenever I've been knocked down or been, you know, cut out of a job because of right-sizing, downsizing, or whatever reasons, if you have innovative energy in your body, you'll always be able to bounce back. It's what made our country great. 
It's what makes businesses great. It's what makes this radio show great. Uh, the problem is a significant number of people around us are not proactive. They're not initiators. They're not innovators. They're not entrepreneurs. They're basically clock watchers. They want to punch a clock, get as much money as they can for the least amount of work that they can do. Uh, and we see that as one of the cancers that's, that's killing this country. So when you were 15, who was the inspiration that uh, is your dad, mom, what'd they do? Broken. My father was retired military uh, and had his own independent insurance company while uh, living on a farm and we were farming. My mom, you know, again, she helped out with the farm, but she uh, worked for the telephone company. So, you know, again, from sunrise to sunset, everyone was working. You know, the, us kids were in school. We got home from school. We had chores. So the environment I was raised in was very much an environment where I don't have any, you know, woe is me, pity me sort of thoughts. Uh, but it was an environment where, you know, you were from the time you woke up to the time you went to bed, you were going, you were doing things. So there wasn't a lot of idle free time to go get in trouble, as they say. Uh, there was always responsibility and things that needed to get done. So both of them are idols. Both of them inspired me. My older siblings all inspired me in different ways, from my sister to my older brothers. Each one very much, you know, doers in her own way. And so that kind of set the... The expectation, you know, for me and my younger siblings that, you know, sitting on your butt and doing zero was not, a, was not an acceptable reality. Outside of that, I had other great, you know, inspirations and mentors. You know, I write and I talk about my first grade teacher, Mrs. Murphy. You know, I was held back in first grade uh, in the way that it was done. I never realized that, that I wasn't getting it, and I was dumb. I mean, the reality was you're stupid. So either you can acknowledge it and say, let's help the child, or parents make the calculated mistake today when your child doesn't get something and saying, oh, well, I'm not going to hold my child back. It'll hurt their self-esteem. When really, no, your kid's dumb. Self-esteem is secondary. Worry about it later. Push the kid into the next grade level and they don't get it. Their classmates do get it. Then they'll start acting up, and people misread acting up. The reason a child acts up is to deflect attention away from the fact they don't know something, and it's a masking device. So fortunately, Mrs. Murphy got it. They made me feel great about the fact I was being held back and never even really realized it until years later. Um, in high school, my cross-country coach, Graham Badger, phenomenal gentleman, and he gave me probably the next you know, great piece of experience and advice uh, as I graduated from high school, and that was you know, if you're going to leave uh, high school and go to college, then I would go to the college furthest away from where you live as possible. And he kind of did a little hand gesture where you move your thumb and pointing finger out as far as you can. He made a comment, every kid that's graduated from, the, you know, from high school here in Colorado Springs comes back for their 10-year reunion. If they stay in state to go to college and they come back to the 10-year reunion, they've only you know, expanded about two inches in life. But then he took his two hands and spread them out far, feet apart. So if you leave the state to go to college, you'll learn as to who you really are. And you'll really have a chance to grow and develop. And when you come back to the 10-year reunion, you'll have expanded this far. You know, in between first grade and, and, and my graduating, you know, class was my middle school. I had a teacher, Mr. Kovar. Mr. Kovar, you know, he kind of took in all the students that no one else really wanted, and he kind of unleashed my entrepreneurial energy into photography and photojournalism, and that's one of the ways I went to college was on a photojournalism scholarship. So there's been lots of people, you know, before I graduated that are those people that helped encourage you and grow you and develop you. And then obviously you have indirect models that, you know, your parents – you know, my dad listened to Earl Nightingale and Og Mandito and, uh, you know, Zig Ziglar and lots of the greats on, on audio back in the day. And so those were secondary inspirations, I'm sure, in my head. And being forced to watch PBS and Lawrence Welk and Wonderful World of Disney and, uh, you know, Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. I mean, all of those were great shows of the 60s and 70s that actually grew your brain to, again, one more time, to think bigger than you, be an innovator, be an entrepreneur. 
Today, if you think about most of the social media, most of the television, most of the radio, most of the movies, it really is the adage of garbage in, garbage out. No wonder we're you know, growing a society of very uninformed, naive, self-absorbed, ignorant individuals. And those are five tough words. It's probably going to you know, make some people mad, but tough crap. It's the truth. Uh, we don't teach people how to think. And so shows like yours and what I do, um, there's a small population of people who are hungry for it. That small population are the people who are going to be the innovators of tomorrow. And they're also Long the ones answer who... answer to a short question. Well, they also contribute, like the 1% contributes to like 99% of the people that actually enjoy what that person innovates. So very important. Do you have kids? Absolutely. Do you have children? Nope. Single. Still in the market. Okay. Well, we'll put out a, an ad on the social media for you. Um, you know, I didn't know that you uh, were a cross-country runner. And I, I went to state and cross-country all four years. And uh, there, there's a lot to be said for people that do cross-country or, or distance training. I think it's a, a different mindset. It's, it's long-term. It's uh, discipline. And it certainly pays. <laughs> Absolutely right. You know, and it's interesting, you know, whether we're talking to individuals saying, where do I interview to hire and find great people? Or how do I unleash the talent within people? It is sometimes stopping, pausing, and saying, okay, you know, we're trying to find common connectivity between individuals. That's how you build groups and, and have effective cultures and organizations. But it's finding out things about people, just like you've identified. You know, a lot of times it's amazing. You know, we don't ask the questions that give you the opportunity to really see the 360 degrees of what a person is. If you want someone that's going to be able to thrive and work in an environment where they're going to need to be dedicated and committed and have discipline, then, you know, again, there's a direct link by asking reverse questions to find out if someone's ever had those experiences. You know, I talk about writing books as a metaphor that if you want to understand an adult's behavior, or if you're a parent you have a small child and you want to grow them to be successful adults when they become older, uh, there's really three chapters to human psychology. You have chapter one, which is basically from birth until your child starts on a regular basis interacting with other kids and groups of people, so call that kindergarten. So from birth to kindergarten is the first chapter of development of an individual. So where that child is exposed to, who that child is exposed to, become phenomenal imprints on their future psychology. You, you cannot erase it. You can add to it. You can adjust it. You can attempt to maybe alter it. But, boy, those first zero through K years are just absolutely critical to understanding someone's reality as an adult. Second chapter is going to be those years of consistent regular interaction with other groups of people through school or church or sports or activities or endeavors. So let's call that K through 12. Or if you go on to college, it could be K through 16, K through 18. So that K through 12 is the second chapter. So again, how that child is, is engaged, you know, who engages that child both academically, spiritually, you know, athletically, extracurricularly, that becomes the second enormous chapter in calibrating a person's psychology for their adulthood. And then the third chapter is, is a little bit vague, but that third chapter is when someone finishes formal school, so when they graduate or when they drop out. There's a, there's a period of time of three, four, five years that kind of fine-tunes and reinforces the first two chapters of human psychology using this book metaphor. So for a normal person, if they were to go through high school 12, then somewhere basically around you know, 19, 20, 21, it's done. Who they're going to be the rest of your life is pretty much set in stone. They'll go to college, you know, then maybe it's 23, 4, 5, 6. So, again, when we see these great entrepreneurs, you know, you do the reverse analysis and you can see exactly where they're coming from. Um, you see people that are disastrous in society. It's the same element, which that's really kind of one of the baselines of the book I wrote, Your Trajectory Code, that explains these things. 
So I have a, a son who's almost three, turns three in June, and my wife and I have at least agreed at the beginning part that uh, based on some parenting uh, books we've read, do not hit your child because your child sees your hand as a weapon and then he starts using it as a weapon. So I was raised uh, very strictly. My dad was an army officer and there was absolutely no doubt in my mind when I did something wrong, it was pretty quick I found out and it was with a, a SWAT or let's go to the, the boys' room. And by the way, I only had to go to the boys' room a couple of times before I knew what that meant not to go to the boys' room, you know. So I'm in, I'm in that deliberation because I'm raising my son to be a leader and, you know, this show is, is a legacy of talking to people like you that I really look up to and say, this is the kind of person I want as a mentor for my son. So what advice would you have for myself and other and take responsibility years and three quarters that he already does not know consequences. Like he's already, it's already shying away from that, that, that learning. Yeah. A couple of thoughts. And again, the answer to this also applies to anyone who's listening that has a business or a company in terms of how you engage and how you onboard, you know, your next new employee or, or, or how you form partnerships and alliances with people. So several responses. One you know, part of it is people have to understand that there's consequences, obligations, and ramifications to their actions, both good and bad. If you start there, then you can start to answer a lot of your questions. Uh, again, physical discipline does not ever even have to be on the table if you can identify other ways to get a person to understand, again, consequences, obligations, and ramifications to actions. So part of it is understanding, am I really ingraining into new people in my child our family values, our corporate values? Same thing, different work. If they understand the values, then the values become the GPS to the behavior. These values tell us exactly what behaviors are in bounds and out of bounds. Then you have to reinforce that, and when someone does behaviorally the things that are uh, congruent with your, your value system, then you reinforce that, you applaud that, you recognize that, you reward that. I mean... All of those words are on the table for what you do. When someone does not live up to, again, the culture, the values, because their behaviors are out of bounds, then, then how do we hold them accountable? It doesn't have to be spanking, absolutely, but there has to be a pain factor. And this is what people have a problem with, but, it's, but it, there, it is irrefutable. Our psychology responds to two extremes, and there's a zillion answers in between those two extremes. But at one extreme, if you think of a pendulum swinging from one direction to the other, on one direction, the pendulum swings, let's call it a plus sign, plus sign representing positives, pleasures, gains. If it swings the other direction, it's a negative sign. That's going to be pain, you know, uncomfortable and loss. So if someone's not, in essence, doing their job, not living up to expectations, not following the values, they're demonstrating a behavior that's unacceptable, then you don't reinforce that with a positive. That's just ludicrous. I mean, every shrink in America, the majority of the clients are, that they are dealing with are being dealt with because people did not adhere to what I'm saying right now. They want to debate this, and that's fine. Debate it all day long. Someone's going to pay a big bill in the end. So if someone's not doing the right things, there has to be a negative sign. If it's not spanking, it's a conversation. If the conversation doesn't work, it's a timeout. If the timeout doesn't work, it's, uh, and you have to keep filling in the blank. But if one form of timeout is go to your bedroom until you can act right, huge mistake. Most kids' bedroom in 2016 are better equipped than most entire homes were, you know, 10, 20 years ago. So sitting in their bedroom is not a pain factor. There's no pain factor. That's a pleasure factor. See, the pendulum went the wrong way. Send them to your parents. Send them to your bedroom, Ken. I mean, help. there's nothing going on in there. That's where you send the kid. You know, but again, most kids' rooms have, 
you know, they have Game Boys and they've got phones and they've got computers and they've got nice beds and they've got television sets. Now, your child's three, four years old, maybe not that, but the point is if you're disciplining someone and where you send them is equal to or better than where they just were sent from, you're not going to change behavior. Classic criminal justice example in America. Most major cities, and this is alarming, this should be an enormous wake-up call to both sides of our politic in America as an example, but both sides are so corrupt and so ridiculously incompetent no one wants to say that. Everyone says, oh, the Democrats are better Republican. No, they both, if you look at them, very few of either side you would ever hire to work in your company. We elect them in there. So criminal justice surveys in major cities have found that they talk to these young people that are incarcerated, and they're talking to them and are getting data finding out these people saying that going to jail is a better life than being on the street. In jail, I've got medical. In jail, I've got food. In jail, I have a place to live. I mean, that, that should be alarming. Anyone that goes to jail, there should be no gym, there should be no television. From sunrise to sunset, we should be retooling them and giving them either a blue-collar trade skill or a white-collar IQ skill so when they get out of jail, they can be immediately meaningfully employed back in the marketplace. There should be no time off. There should be chain gangs on the highway if you need to. There should be prison work farms where they grow their own food. I mean, those are all examples of jobs with a little bit of pain factor attached. People go, oh, my God, I would never want to do that. And there's your point. People would think twice before they commit a crime. All of that comes back to your question of about a three-year-old child. Yes, because if you don't do the right things at age three, then you start making excuses for the unacceptable behavior when they're seven. So then they're in trouble with the law when they're 16, 17, and you as a parent can make any misdemeanor go away. Then when they hit 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, they have a felony, which now you can't make go away, and now that becomes, in essence, the criminal thug we're talking to in jail. That's exactly how all these models work. Kids should have homework. That's their job when they're growing up is to experience being a child, yes, but they should have homework in classes. They should be a part of you know, the music or the band or the deck or the shop or the swim team or the band or the choir or the sporting teams. That's what they should be being involved in all those things. And schools have debates where we don't have the money to have you know, all these different activities. Well, think about it. Every time you take something away, you're now not growing that person's brain to be a contributor later in life. Scary. Yeah, and, and just because it's not in the school system doesn't mean you can't find it in other sectors. So, and if you can't find it in a sector, create it. And so I agree with you. And, and the reason I love cross country is because it is the, one of the only sports besides swimming and track that you are racing time and there's no excuse. You can't just say, ah, there was a little, the hill was a little tough on that one. I didn't know it was going to be so steep. It's just like you finished like fourth or you finished fifth. Everyone was, had the same exact course. So. And that's exactly, you know, while it's a part of a team sport, it definitely you're measured on your individual efforts and merits. And, that, and that's it. And that's what, you know, again, the beauty of your program, which, you know, when you talk about how do you amplify other great people and great stories and great messages from a cross-section of different, you know, uh, spectrums of, of business and industry, uh, that's what it's about. It's, it's about having that mentality of going out as a race every day. And sometimes you have to pick up this pace like a sprint. Because you've got to keep in mind it's a distance race. It's a marathon with no end, which means you've got to be able to pace yourself. Again, life is a marathon with no end. And that's how you have to look at it. You know, this chapter, we're here, and then there's another chapter depending upon your views and spirituality as to where you go next. But right now, what do you do for greatness and success? How do you pace yourself to do it every day? Uh, and that's one of the problems we have in our society is people want to work really hard, but it's only for, you know, for five days, and I want to be able to coast for the next 30 years. I, I think another point you bring up is that when you're working 
and you're actually paying your dues, that you are going to learn when you make mistakes. That's an opportunity. And when you don't, when you let those mistakes actually cloud you into quitting, you're missing the point. And uh, there's a gentleman, Ken MacArthur, who has a, an event that's coming up called the Impact Factor. And it simply states that when you're born, you make an impact in the world. It could be a good one. It could be an okay one. It could be a really bad one. But you have to understand you're responsible for making impacts. And, and I, I think you really speak to that in a, the long distance, that life is a long distance race for actually success. Bingo. And again, you study any successful individual. You measure success any way you want. But you study any successful person, you know, whether it is a, a, an athlete, a musician, an entertainer, a celebrity, a politician, a business executive, a guru, a startup person. Uh, they all have differences amongst them. But when you peel back the differences, you start to come up with some very similar traits and characteristics. And that's you know, one of the things I've studied for 30 years. It's one of the things we profile in my magazine, Professional Performance Magazine. And it's those similarities, when you know what those are, that becomes the formula that then anyone can replicate wrapping around their uniqueness. And, and that's what really we all should be doing every day. Everyone should be held accountable for the greatness within them. Anyone who wants to immigrate to our country, you know, again, we were built on primarily immigrants, so there's nothing wrong with that. But anyone who wants to immigrate to our country, that should be one of the entry questions. You know, what can you do to make America better? What can you do to contribute something meaningful to our country? And if you can answer that, bang, all means, let them in. And if they can't, say sorry, go back home. You know, and, and that would really start to change people's attitudes every day. You know, when you graduate from high school, one of the things that there should be a question before you can graduate. What can you leave here and in a constructive, meaningful way go out and contribute to society? And if you can't answer that, then it's like, sorry, start over, back to kindergarten. You're going to be the, our oldest idiot in the room. Let's do it again. <laughs> well, I wanted to give a, a, a link for, so people can check out your performance P60, uh, P360 magazine. It's professionalperformancemagazine.com. And uh, how long have you had that magazine, Dr. McGee? Uh, going on year 22, and we have a whole new website that uh, goes up uh, the first of next month. So if they go there now, there's, a, there's, a, there's some information, but a much more robust uh, website where you can engage some of the phenomenal contributors to our magazine uh, over the past two decades, from the last three presidents, the last three first ladies, to CEOs of Fortune 100 companies, to major uh, again, celebrities in all genre. We've had some phenomenal people contribute articles to us. Uh, some of the segments within the magazine, part of my fascination has always been American Indian history. So we always have a tribal Indian chief from one of the great tribes writes an article in our magazine each quarter. Uh, we always have a military general from uh, one of the state's Army Air National Guards, the top military leader in every state. We always have an adjutant general write an article on leadership. And then we always have major politicians from both political parties and inspirational gurus and leaders and writers. And, uh, again, Joel Osteen has written for us many, many times, almost a regular basis, and John Maxwell, and you know, just phenomenal names. So that's what's on the website, and that's, they can have a chance to get a little exposure to their mental DNA. And what caused you to create this magazine? Great question. I was writing uh, for a magazine called Success Magazine back in the, in the 80s. It was a great magazine. It still exists today, but it's been completely retooled and rebought. It's pretty much a multi-level marketing, direct marketing magazine. There's nothing wrong with that industry, but if you want regular business or regular success ideas, majority of everything that's in that magazine is actually not applicable. So what happened in the 80s was, again, in any industry you're in, there's always a trade journal. 
Uh, and I wanted to, to see if I could do a publication. It would be a little bit like a trade journal, meaning it would have more meaningful, meaty editorial, but it would be in the form of a magazine, so something that you can read digitally online or carry in your hand. So I started with three objectives. One, could I get phenomenal people to write editorial on a regular basis for the magazine? That was my first objective. Regardless if anyone wanted to read it, first could I get that kind of editorial? Because nowhere does that editorial appear then. And today, interestingly enough, nowhere does that editorial appear except in my magazine. Second, then could I get phenomenal people like you, I, and our listeners to want to subscribe and read it? And then if I could do one and two, could I get a limited number of advertisers that want to advertise and support in it? So I went after it from that three versus creating something that I could immediately monetize. First, I wanted to make sure that the deliverable, the content, would be something I could consistently get. So I reached out to Zig Ziglar. I reached out to a couple of other phenomenal personalities, and every one of them said right off the top, absolutely, I'd love to do it, and they were been on board since. So our primary advertisers in the magazine are Mercedes and Marriott, uh, a couple of firms of that size, and then I have a couple of uh, other people advertise in there, and then the majority of the other ads are really more like awareness pieces that I just put in there, a comp, uh, as as a gift from me to the people that write or people I like, you know, my friends, because I believe in their product, and so I just want to help to get them some exposure. So I started it as a way to get access to phenomenal personalities and get a slice of their mental DNA that could help me and help people like me, uh, and two decades later, we're still going, and there's there's no other publication like it out there. All of our content is evergreen. We don't get into trendy issues. We don't get into politics. Uh, the people that write, obviously, you're going to know that when Bill Clinton writes, he's a Democrat, but I'm not letting him write about Democratic things and bash Republicans. Or if I have, you know, Republican, you know, the, the Rince Priebus, the chairman of the, D, uh, the Republican Party uh, at the time of the world doing this recording, is written, and it's not an article on, you know, pro-Republican versus, you know, anti-Democrat. If Joel Osteen writes, obviously, he's a religious leader. You know, he's obviously going to be writing from the Bible perspective, but I'm not going to have him do a sermon in my magazine. So I get phenomenal people. What I want to know from them is phenomenal ideas on performance, achievement, and success that they can share with our readers that all of us could benefit from. So whether it's Lee Iacocca, Warren Buffett, or Sir Richard Branson, or Oprah, or Susie Orman, or people like you and I, it's, it's what have we learned through our time on this planet as some so, some ways to accelerate success, and that's always the articles I want them to write. Well, fantastic, Dr. McGee. We're going to actually take a break right now, and if you want that magazine, you want to check it out, professionalperformancemagazine.com. We'll be back in a couple minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Umbrella Syndicate amplifies good causes, good people, and good messages. They offer a suite of services that help people and businesses gain better exposure. Through working with the Umbrella Syndicate, you gain the ability to reach an audience of 50,000 unique people a week. They have recently reached over 20,000 followers on Facebook. You can view their photography and how they use it as a strong promotional tool on their Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash The Umbrella Syndicate. Show them your support by liking their page. Higher education faces lots of changes. If you are a student, educator, or in the workforce, you'll want to tune into Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Your host, Dave Goldberg, and his guests will explore the innovations that higher education adopts as it reinvents itself. The world of higher education is constantly changing. Stay on top and stay ahead of the rest 
Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. If you want to learn how to be a better leader, increase your level of business performance, and motivate your team and organization more effectively, listen for Performing at Your Best, Mindset Evolution with Luis Vicente Garcia. Luis Vicente and his guests will share their expertise and enthusiasm in helping you to succeed. It's combining that drive with business skills that will do just that. Tune in live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. This is Amplify. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. We also would love to hear from you via email to info at umbrellasyndicate.com. Now, back to Amplify. All right, this is Ken Roshan in Washington, D.C., and we are back with Dr. Jeffrey McGee. And we've had a very fast first segment. That 30 minutes went by way too quick, Dr. McGee. It always does. Love it. It is. You know, when you're having fun, time goes fast. If you're doing something productive, it's even better. That's right. Well, um, you had shared uh, during the break, or we'd shared that we'd had some really common interests, and we can talk about that in a second. But I wanted to give another strong plug to not only CEO Space International, but just when you get out of your comfort zone, uh, St. Augustine said, you know, the book, the world is a book, and if you only visit one country, you only see one page. So I think when you go to uh, an environment like CEO Space International, you meet like-minded, like-hearted people, and you make connections like the ones we've made. And I want to acknowledge you on the air just to say that after two years of like kind of dominating the DMV area, District of Columbia, Maryland, Virginia area, in a uh, social media photography sense, we decided it was time to look at the national scene. And so I went to CO Space, and you were one of the first people that I saw speak uh, that I said, I have to sit down and uh, get more information about what you do and, and how we could work together. And you really got it. And I just wanted to tell you that you're one of the inspirations, but you're also one of the uh, people that said, hey, let me, let me refer you to a couple people. And I landed a couple of my first national jobs as a result of you. So I, I wanted to thank you very much and uh, also say that it makes such a difference to go to uh, an organization like CO Space because it wasn't the first time. I think it was the second time I saw you said, okay, this guy's more serious. I'm, not, I'm putting words in your mouth. Why don't you share what, what you experienced from CO Space and, and that interaction? I appreciate that. You know, CEO Space is one of the one of many incubators in business around the country. Colleges, universities, and different chambers of commerces are um, all in the last decade doing micro versions of this. But CEO Space, in theory, is a phenomenal opportunity. And again, you only get out of things in life what you put into them. We've always heard that statement, and this is an example of one of those that's very true. So the concept here that Bernie Dorman has put together through CEO Space is an opportunity for people that are entrepreneurs. Typically in the startup phase of a business concept, so you have this startup mentality of an idea, but you don't really know what to do next and, and how to build it out as a business. Well, there's lots of places you can go, and CEO Space is one of those environments that four to five times a year they have a week-long business incubator conference in Las Vegas. Um, I've been very fortunate with my schedule that I've been asked to uh, typically either do the opening or closing keynote of the week. Um, so there's a several keynoters during the week. There's lots of breakout programs and tremendous amount of networking opportunity to meet the people you need to take your business idea from where it is 
to the next level. Now, I mean the next immediate level is what you have to do before you can get to the ultimate big goal. And a lot of times people have an idea or they have a business, maybe even have a business that's in, in operational mode. So it's past startup, but it's in operations, in revenue generation. But they have this big goal of where they want it to go, and they forget what the, the next step is. And that's what's important to know those steps. So that's what the program's about. Uh, I've been, a, you know, again, a, a guest a keynote person typically at the beginning or the end of the week. I'll typically stay there a day or two and do some, you know, free gratis consulting. I believe there's lots of ways we tithe in society. And I think one of the biggest, more legacy lasting ways you can tithe is not necessarily opening up your checkbook, but it's opening up your brain and, and helping other people to get from where they are to the next level. And that's where you and I connected. And you've always been a big proponent of actually really giving to the audience, not just in uh, value and having them do the, the worksheets in front of uh, where they're actually getting the principles and working through it, but you actually give them one of your books, The Trajectory Code. And before we go into, I guess, that beautiful segue, I'd like you to share what people can get out of visiting your website, because I know at the end of the program you have a lot of offers that uh, we don't want to rush. So why don't you take a minute to just share where people can uh, go to websites and what they get from going there. I appreciate that. So the website is jeffreymcgee.com. So it's J-E-F-F-R-E-Y, and McGee is M-A-G-E-E. So if they go to jeffreymcgee.com. So where I've been for the last 20 years is in the B2B space. So I speak to businesses, conferences, conventions. Uh, I have a leadership program that's academically accredited. It's also CPE accredited. That's you know, uh, continuing professional education for CPAs, EAs, tax attorneys, People need continuing ed to keep their certifications and license every year. So I have hundreds of hours of work in that space uh, and used to be a part owner in a CPE company that we sold for you know, several million dollars a couple years ago. That at jeffreymcgee.com, I still do a tremendous amount of work in the B2B space, but what we had not been engaged in for the last 20 years is the B2C space, and we now are in that space, meaning that I now have three um, pathways on my website. We call them Acceleration Vault where a person can sign up, and I have priced them very, very reasonable, where a lot of websites grossly overprice and, and under-deliver. So one of the acceleration vaults is personal development, the trajectory code. So there's 15 lesson plans that I personally recorded a one-on-one uh, video tutorial coaching program with you if you sign up for it. We go through these one week at a time, one lesson plan developmentally with you. Go out and apply it in your life for that week. Come back the next week. We debrief it. You have the next lesson plan. Also, you have access there to uh, years' worth of performance magazines that no one else has access to. So you have all that access to phenomenal articles on success from phenomenal personalities. Uh, there's audios. There's articles. Uh, there are several other touch points. Second uh, pathway, Acceleration Vault, is for sales. I've written several sales books, CDs, DVDs, college textbook on sales. I've uh, been in sales myself for many decades. So in that one, again, there are 25 webinars. Each one is 30 minutes to an hour long. Teach, uh, teach you one phenomenal lesson plan you can use. Take it out for a week and apply it. Come back the next week. Go to another lesson plan. Plus, we have very specific strategic and tactical articles on sales with ideas you can immediately use to grow your business. Uh, we do sales training for the United States military for the recruiting uh, component, the largest sales force in America, Fortune 100 corporations, entrepreneurial businesses. So on the sales portal, there's tremendous uh, um, audios, videos, and lesson plans and courses there. And then a leadership portal with the same thing. On the leadership portal, there's access to very specific white papers, uh, articles, magazines, and again, lesson plans, uh, 72 hours worth of leadership development courses there. 
So that's what's at the Jeffrey McGee. So if a business organization is looking for someone to come in and speak, keynote, do a training program, work with the learning development people, uh, we still play there a lot. But I've taken what people have paid millions of dollars to refine and learn, and I've made it very user-friendly and cost-effective for an individual uh, to go to. So we now have that on both sides of the website. And every one of those vaults you just described would dramatically change the trajectory of someone's life if they actually applied it. And I, I can't say enough that when you, the, the quote uh, from Charlie Tremendous Jones, the difference of where you'll be now and where you'll be five years from now are the books you read and the people you meet. And I can say firsthand that people that work with Dr. McGee actually have their life changed in a very, very positive and impactful way. So let's segue over to uh, the trajectory code. What was the, uh, when you wrote your first book, the, uh, when was that book, what was that book, and how did that affect all the others? Great question. First book I wrote was in 1994. Uh, that was my first business book. Actually, the first book before that was a book called Bounce Back Self-Marketing. That book came out in 1990. It was a book on how to market yourself for a job using some of the tenets and practices I had learned working for American Home Products, a uh, Fortune 100 corporation. I was the number one salesman in the nation with them. But the first real business book that I would go to is a book called Power Charge for Life. It came out in 1994. The key premise of that book was a concept called The X Factor, the X factor was talking about and identifying what those traits, characteristics, and uniquenesses are of successful businesses and successful individuals. Uh, through research that I had done up to that time, I went to college to be a journalist and spent many years as a journalist before I went into sales and marketing. So the X factor concept was a concept that I conceived, came out in 1994, um, and there are a lot of people that basically have hijacked my idea and presented it as theirs, uh, but they have hijacked it. So it's an original idea which is important to the books I do today, which is innovation is originality. Imitation is copying. There's a lot of people in our world today that are great at marketing. They can make themselves look really good stealing someone else's idea. But at the end of the day, if you're a one-hit wonder and that's all you have, people will start to eventually catch up and find out, and, and they'll recognize that. So that X Factor concept has matured and grown to the book that just recently came out called Your Trajectory Code, uh, released by John Wiley. Wiley is the largest trade book publisher in the world, and so that's where I wanted to go with. So it was one proposal. They picked up the book, and away it went. People typically talk about you know presenting their manuscripts to dozens and dozens of book publishers before they get a deal. Well, if you know what you're doing, you should only have to put one proposal out there, and that's what this is. So the book, Your Trajectory Code, deals with how to change your decisions, your actions, and directions to become a part of the top 1% of high achievers. And we go through 15 specific trajectory maps in this book that spells out exactly how to get from where you are now to where you want to go. Uh, Charlie Tremendous Jones was a mentor of mine, phenomenal gentleman. He passed away several years ago. First time I met him was doing a program in Bismarck, North Dakota. And uh, he was on stage, the same guy he was off stage. And uh, he helped to take a lot of people that were subject matter experts and through the power of the book, turn them into phenomenal um, success stories today. Okay. And so tell me about some of the other books you wrote. Uh, out right now also is uh, a, a graduate management textbook with Pearson Education. Pearson Education is the largest uh, academic textbook publisher in the world. That book is called The Managerial Leadership Bible. You can buy both of these books. Uh, the Managerial Leadership Bible and your trajectory code can both be bought through my website, Amazon.com, or through BarnesandNoble.com, or in your local bookstore. And the Managerial Leadership Bible book, again, is a phenomenal book. It's in its third edition, uh, this new revised edition, white cover. 
uh, and it's a college textbook. So the beauty of that is you can read it even if you're not in a college environment because each chapter basically starts with test questions and ends with test questions, so just hold your brain accountable. But the entire book is a practitioner book, not theory-based, and basically talks uh, to what every manager and leader needs to know to run a business, whether you have a business with a couple of employees or you have a multi-billion dollar business. My largest client is a $6 billion financial organization. I've been working with their CEO and the 40 top executives for the past 16 years. Uh, my, lo- my smallest client is a $24 million manufacturing firm with 55 employees, eight people in management I've been working with there. So the, the management book is powerful because it talks about basically everything you need to know around the issues of setting strategy, building your operational systems, achieving the right tactical behaviors, having the right discipline for execution, and setting up the right accountability tools uh, and mechanisms to achieve success and greatness. So the two books are great companion pieces. I'm working with a couple of adjutant generals with State Army and Air National Guards right now. As a matter of fact, we're using both books with their senior officers uh, that I use with my civilian and commercial clients. So those are the two books. The third book I have out is a sales book. It's called It, uh, and I have a college uh, graduate management textbook. It's also a sales book. It's called The Sales Training Handbook. So those are the four books of the 23 that I'm really fixating on that I would say are in circulation. The others have great content, but I'm not wanting to update them, revise them, or put them out there. Um, the intellectual property that I'm, that I'm wanting to share with people, I believe, is why I can help people the greatest is around just those, those three books, The Sales, It, Self-Development, Your Trajectory Code, and Management through the uh, Manager Leadership Bible book. So now I want to go back to that point about CEO Space International. So i just gone there one time, probably wouldn't know you. And if you'd only written one book, you probably wouldn't have gotten, obviously, this much success in the trajectory code. In other words, Wiley wouldn't have looked at you if you were coming to them for the first book and say, hey, I got an idea for a book and take you as seriously. And then you would have been on the, I guess, on the circuit for finding who would believe in you, right? Bingo. Okay. And then the second point is that when you make a book, if you're not successful with it, you probably don't do any more books. So it really is a testament that your books are content valuable and that you know how to market them, which is part of selling and part of your business strategy. So people that have written more than, let's call it three or four books, it's not a luck game. It's really showing that they have valuable content and that they're succeeding at sharing that content. Absolutely correct. And again, that's a part of it. You know, a lot of my books uh, will be topically you know, in, in the pipeline of leadership management development, sort of that area, or in sales, marketing, that area. That's why I've grown up. It's what my certifications are in, my degrees are in, my business have all been in. Uh, but within that, I've had some books that have stepped a little bit left and right of that lane. But as you write a book, if the content's legitimate and relevant, uh, then that, that content is, is applicable. And if it's applicable, then you also are always evolving the content so that you see how to refine-tune it the next time you come out with another edition. So several of my books are uh, in you know, third, fourth, and fifth draft editions, so they've withstood time as well, and I think that's important. Great. Well, let's start talking about the trajectory code before we run out of time. So let's, let's talk about what, what that actually means. Uh, talk about the, the TC, the ABC, just get the, the terminology correct for them. Perfect. So TC is trajectory code. And the easiest way to, to think of this, this book from a macro perspective that you can use as a listener right now to our show, as soon as you hang up, as soon as you turn off, as soon as you tune out, you can use. If you take your hand and just take your fingers in front of you and flash the old P symbol, you've got two fingers going up, the P symbol. Well, that, that P symbol is, is really like the letter V, V for victory. 
So the trajectory code model is basically a V diagram. So you have one line that goes up to the left that's a finite line, and we call that trajectory pathway B, B as in boy, B as in behavior. The line that goes upward to the right goes into infinity, and we label that one with trajectory C, C for consequence, celebration, champion. So C is consequence. So in psychology, one of the base models that's used in psychology is a model called the ABC model of human behavior. The ABC model of human behavior asserts that in life there's always going to be A, activating events, that emerged with B, behaviors, that equal C, consequences. Consequences, in other words, for outcome. So the premise of the ABC model is that if you were to think of A, the bottom of that V, B is the top of the left line, which is a finite line, and C, the line going up to the right, which is an infinity line. So if you were to come back to A and view that as a thumbtack on an imaginary wall with two threads hanging straight down, here's the real power to this model, everybody. So if you have a thumbtack at A and the two threads are hanging straight down, let's make the threads different colors. One of the threads you grab and you thumbtack up at B, if you have that little V for victory symbol with your fingers, think of a letter V for that's a trajectory model's a V. So if you thumbtack one thread at B and you thumbtack the second thread at C, there's a space and period of time when both threads are leaving A that one's going to go up to the left to B, one's going to go up to the right to C. There's a period of space of time when both threads leave A where they're really like one on top of the other. That space where they're kind of one on top of the other, before they start to part and go left and right, I put a big circle over that space. And in the book, we call that the 1% factor. And that circle also represents the trajectory code. The more I know about who you are, as we talked about earlier in this, this segment of this interview, this radio show, then I'll understand why you're either going to go up to B, which is behavior and derailment and dead end and everything negative eventually, or it's going to take you to C, which is success. And successful people recognize that when they leave A, whatever it is that I'm doing, if I were to extrapolate outward and just extrapolate out days, weeks, minutes, years, if I recognize when I'm leaving A, what is it that I'm doing? And I extrapolate out. If I keep doing this, is it going to take me towards B or towards C? If it's going to take me towards B, then that's derailment, and that's not where I want to be. I can, in a 1% recalibration, have to get back over to C, and I can accelerate myself towards success. You study any successful person, they live in that space directly above A, I call the 1% zone. So in the book, we talk about how to recognize these opportunities, how to recalibrate when you go in the wrong direction. We talk about life balance issues and the nine spheres that makes up your life, the model called PFC Fishes. We talk about the X-Factor concept I first introduced to the world in 1994. And one of the real PowerPoints, which we don't have time today to talk about, that really is the, the secret sauce to this book and this concept is a model I refer to as the Player Capability Index Model, your Player Capability Index Model. It's a formula. And this formula, through my lens as a performance psychologist, is how I look at individuals and how you create future great individuals. This formula can be used for interviewing, hiring, re-job scoping, job descriptions, promoting, giving incentives, benefits, coaching, counseling, disciplining, uh, can be used to you know, advertise and interview for better people. Parenting, you talked about your three-year-old child at the top of this uh, show, Ken. It can be used to help you to, to, to really recognize how you influence and grow your child. So the formula, which we don't have time to talk about today, so I'm teasing you with it, is really the secret sauce. It's what people hire me as a coach and consultant is to come in and help them with their player capability index model, recalibrate their model, or help them to figure out where they screwed the model up so they can get it fixed. And if you study any successful entrepreneur, 
these are some of the very things that they also understand, which is why they're successful. Okay, and uh, some of the other principles in the book, uh, the fist, you want to talk about the... Yep, the fist factor is another principle. So the fist factor is another quick way of saying birds of a feather flock together. We're all familiar with that saying and that adage. Uh, again, Earl Nightingale talked a lot about this with, you know, the acres of diamonds. Um, w. Clement Stone and Napoleon Hill talked about it in, in their books from the 40s and 50s when they talked about your mastermind. purpose of your fist factor is when you make a fist, you've got this clenched hand that represents power and strength. I tell people to flex it back open, you've got five fingers. So if you think about the people in your head that are either inside your conscious mind because you put them there and they influence how you see yourself, or subconsciously they sneak into your head and maybe they are some of those inner dialogues and that inner voice when it kicks in it is a voice of doubt. It's being fed by some negative people in your head. If you have an inner voice of success and abundance and, and achievement, it's being fed by the positive people in your head. So the, the short, quick, accelerated course here of the fist factor is to stop and flex your hand open, five fingers, and reflect on who the people in your head that influence your psychology. They influence how you see yourself. They influence your internal dialogue. And you assign one name to a finger and just kind of collapse them down as you do the inventory. And typically when I do this exercise with people, they can almost instantly come up with four, five, or six names as who's influenced them. Thus, your hand goes from flexed open to a fifth factor. Then I have you flex it back open. And I talk about the five types of people you need within your fist factor or you need within this mental board of directors, if you will, or within this mastermind, whatever you want to call it, it's all the same thing. And that's these people inside your subconscious head that influence and reinforce your greatness or they're distractors and they're the naysayers and haters, as you call them sometimes, and they're always trying to, you know, to defeat you. So once you recognize who's on your mastermind, then if you have the right people, you can always inventory. If you're thinking about making a decision, you can go down the list and say, what would this person do? What would this person do? And you have lots of other insights that will be stimulated, and you make better decisions. So part of in the book, you've got to buy it to get it, but I give the five types of people that a well-balanced individual, a well-balanced mastermind must um, contain, whether it's five people, fewer people, or more people. It doesn't matter, but these five categories you need to possess uh, to really have great success. And what were some of the books that you would recommend? You have obviously been inspired by a lot of mentors. So we're down to the last couple minutes. So I want to make sure we have time to talk about a couple quotes, a couple books you recommend, and also that contact information again. Great question. And I'm going to answer it differently than you posed it because there's a formula. What I read are books in four categories all the time. This is how our listeners can grow their brains. Not necessarily go read the, and then you give a specific name, but one. I always read within my trade, within my industry. So as a listener, what's the industry? What's your vocation? So within your vocation, you always want to read an academic book. So in management, leadership sales is my vocation. What are the textbooks that a college class will be teaching? Always read an academic book in your area. That will grow your brain. Second, what's the, what's the number one trade book out right now in your space? So again, management, leadership sales is me. What's the number one trade book? If I go to the bookstore, I go on Amazon or go on to barnesandnoble.com, what's the number one trade book in my area? That's the second category I'm going to read. Number three is, what is the number one pop book of the day? That may be a fiction, nonfiction, maybe a trade book within my category. I just identified it might be a trade book in a different category. But what's the pop book everyone's talking about, whether it's, you know, Who Moved My Cheese, classic book, or Purple Cow, classic book, or et cetera. The fourth is always going to be an autobiography or a biography from someone of greatness in the space I live in. So, again, I live in leadership, management. And sales, so I'm always going to read an autobiography or biography from a business person, an entrepreneur, you know, some sort of a great leader, whether it's a world leader, political, politics, military, doesn't matter. 
So I would answer the what the book is by actually arming our listeners with this category formula. You should always be reading a book from one of those four categories at all times. That will grow and challenge you to greater levels of success and accomplishment. And in terms of great quotes, I think some of the great quotes that are out there, uh, again, you know, Margaret Thatcher, the problem with socialism is eventually run out of everyone else's money. That's not meant as a political statement. It's meant that if you only have a lens through which you live, that means someone else is always taking care of you. You are never going to be an entrepreneur. You will never be an innovator. You're never going to be a capitalist. And those three, from the beginning of recorded time to today, are the only three vocations, professions, and politics that have survived. All other politics and professions have come and gone. So I would give that one. Again, Ronald Reagan had a classic, you know, uh, statement that I've used in lots of programs, workshops, and writing. He talks about using the grading skill of A, B, C, D, F. A, level people surround themselves with A, level people. B, level people surround themselves with Cs. So if you want to be great, you should always surround yourself with great people. If you've got to be the smartest man in the room, you're destined for failure. Well, Dr. McGee, you have been awesome. I want to have you back on this program. And for those of you who want to reach out and connect, it's Dr. I'm, I'm sorry, www.jeffreymcgee.com. And I highly recommend you check out his performance, P360 Magazine. Dr. McGee, you are fantastic to have on the show. Look forward to seeing you at CEO Space and having you back. Thank you very much. Everyone have an awesome day. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of Amplify. Be sure to join Ken Rashad again next Tuesday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, go get your message heard.